Hi, everyone, and welcome to Stoked, the ultimate Star Trek online podcast. This is episode 124. My name is Chris, and I want to say good morning to all the fine folks in the jblive.tv chat room. We'll be doing this on Friday next week, so join us Friday, 5 p.m. We're moving it uh, for this weekend, next weekend. But uh, it's been a big week for Cryptic. Not so much in the news headlines, but definitely in changes behind the scenes. And uh, changes that I believe will injure an already limping community. And uh, I'll talk about those in the news roundtable. Also in the news roundtable, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that Stowe is facing a problem that's a lot bigger than a mysterious season six or a broken PvP system or the lockboxes, which appear to be our distraction du jour right now. The bigger problem is Perfect World, and it's not something that can be fixed with a patch. So I'm going to talk about that in the news roundtable as well. So stay tuned for that. But if you want to get your hands on some new mission content, well, the Foundry Files guys have your hookup this week. They know you're itching to blow some stuff up. We did a diplomatic mission last week. This week, it's all about the torpedoes, baby. We have an awesome Foundry Files for you. So stay tuned for that. We're also doing another Talk Trek segment. We followed through some, on some Gemadar episodes that we thought might tie in great with the reruns in Stowe right now, and we'll talk about those in the uh, Talk Trek segment coming up towards the end of this week's show. But before I go on, I have an announcement to make. I'm extremely excited to announce that Jupiter Broadcasting has launched a new show, and it's our most ambitious show ever. It's called Unfilter. It premiered Monday, May 21st. And uh, what, what, what is Unfiltered? Well, I'll tell you. It is our show that's going to get the story behind the story. We pull out and get, a, get away from all of the political crap and all of the, the news spin, and we just talk about issues like people. And really, it's, it's news that matters, the real stories. Our first episode was on cannabis prohibition. And we've got some fascinating data in this episode that I think you would love to hear. For it or again it, I think you want to check out episode one. We did on cannabis prohibition, and I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Unfiltered will be releasing every Monday over at jupiterbroadcasting.com early Monday morning. So that way for you commuters, if you check your feeds before you jump in the car, you'll have a great new show to listen to. I'm extremely excited. And a couple of new uh, faces on the network are joining me on that show. Also, before we go on, I should remind you that you can help support and sponsor all of these shows by using the affiliate links over on our website. If you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and scroll all the way down to the very bottom of the site, all the way down there. You'll see links down there for Amazon. US, UK, Newegg, which somebody just... I, a couple of people recently have gotten some really nice rigs off of Newegg. I don't get any identification info, like who buys it, but I get to see the parts sell. Oh, man. Oh, man. So uh, Newegg, ThinkGeek, Best Buy, Mint.com, Audible.com, and Gamefly. We also have a Chrome extension. If you grab that Chrome extension, it just automatically tags your shopping session when you're there. You don't even have to worry about the links. So thank you to everybody who supports not just this show, but all of the shows on Jupiter Broadcasting by using those affiliate links. All right, well, enough with all of that. Let's jump into the news roundtable. Time to kick around the news. We're going to do some unfiltering ourselves this week. There's actually oh, yeah. not a ton of news, but there is enough that we want to cover. So Mav's joining me, and we're going to kick around the news old school. First up, Mav, let's talk about something new that hit the game this week. It is obligatory. Yeah. There yep. is a new species that you can purchase. Yeah. Called, I'm going to try to get this right. The Phrenasians? The Phrenasians. Phrenasians. The Phrenasians. Phrenasians. Now, uh, these are a KDF side uh, character unlock, and uh, they <laughs> appear to be essentially a reskin of the Cations. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. lot of people, not people not real thrilled that it was a reskin of the Cations. Basically, it's a darker, more gothic with vampire like fangs. Uh, 
uh, cation available on the KDF side. Yeah. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I don't, I'm not a big KDF player, so it doesn't really impact me one way or the other. I'm not no. compelled to buy these, uh, primarily because these are not a species in Star Trek that I know. I, I play this game to, to remember and, and, and experience the things I love about Star Trek, mm -hmm. and there's so much to draw from. Why make something up? Like I, I, I guess kind of what I wonder is, were these were these meant to be the uh, Zenkati? How do you say these guys? These guys. Zenkath, yeah, Zenkati, Zenkathy. Yeah, <clears throat> these were a yeah. great villain in uh, the animated series of Star Trek, and mm -hmm. these are a cat-like species that I could totally see being folded into the KDF because they their homogeny wouldn't have been able to succeed through a powerful KDF uh, right. campaign. So uh, maybe these were intended to be these, and <clears throat> they didn't get the approval. I don't know. I don't but know. It's a little underwhelming. Yeah, it's a little underwhelming. And, you know, considering the other plethora of species that are available that are known, you know, it, it's just one of these things where it's like, okay, the, we now have cute cats. I see, a, you know? I see several people in the chat room saying that Cryptic couldn't get the license uh, for the uh, Zenkati. So maybe that's what the issue it is. No. It, you know, it probably is. And, and, and a lot of people are recognizing now more than ever that, you know, a lot of what goes into this game, if possible, has to go through so many licensing filters. It's like, well, we would love to just put everything in there, but we have to get permission every time we come up with something. And, right. and then it has to be a certain way, and it has to look a certain way, and act a certain well, way. Well, and we don't know why Cryptic didn't approve it, or why CBS didn't approve it. Perhaps they weren't happy with the result. Perhaps they said, that just looks like a reskin of another species or even game. It doesn't make them unique enough we don't want them representing that species that's a possibility also <clears throat> i would propose a radical concept that perhaps they should have considered if okay. it doesn't live up to the standard if it's not trek and it doesn't and, it, and cbs didn't meet cbs's approval maybe the proper course of action is not to release it because to make something great it's just as important about what you don't put into it that you do put into it and when you put something in like this it sort of lessens the overall value of the Star Trek IP, in a sense. Because this game is supposed to represent the continuing evolution of the original Prime Universe. And there's so much to draw from. This is not a limited resource pool. There's so much to draw from that if you can't draw from something that makes the cut that can make it into the game, I'd say it's better just to leave it out. In fact, I would say that it shows prioritizing earning profit over a cheap, reskin is more important than adding value to the Star Trek IP, which I think fundamentally betrays a disrespect for the Star Trek IP on Perfect World's point. Because I would be completely willing to believe that this had nothing really to do with Cryptic, and it's just they have a window of releases they need to make from Perfect World, and this is one of the items on the list that Perfect World wants to see done. And I think it shows a disrespect for the purity of the IP. Am I overreacting? No, you're not. No, I, I completely agree with you 100%. You know, there, there is so much to draw from. You know, why make it up? Now, I understand in being unique and creating a newer experience, you'd want to bring something new to the table. But then again, the Farasins, it just I would, seemed like... I would disagree. I would say their role is to take something like uh, the Zenkedi here and, and tell us what's happened between when we saw them last and now and how they got here. And that's a unique opportunity that Cryptic could take advantage of that I don't believe has been explored a lot. And it's just kind of been completely ignored in favor of a cheap reskin. And it feels cheap. You can tell it's cheap. Yeah. Now, that said, if I'm a KDF player, I, you know, I might be, I'm not, I'm not completely against picking these up just because they, are, they have some interesting abilities. They're sort of almost like a plus one character. 
Because <laughs> Zinti, not, not Zanketti. <laughs> Sounds like right. you're talking about pasta. I it's because I swear, I swear in the animated series, they refer to them as the Zenkethi, but I, I'm getting them confused with Zinti. Right, yeah. with something else, right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, right. that's essentially my thoughts on these new characters, the new kittens, as, I'm, as, as the chat room has been calling them, and I'm now getting in the habit. The new, the new kittens. Yeah. Should we uh, dark, move on to the next story? The, the emo dark kittens. Yeah, we'll move on to the next one. Now, this next one, this next story is uh, full of speculation, rumor mongering, and uh, outright. Uh, oh I don't know. boy! I don't know. Jesus. I don't know. I'm just. I just want to make a full disclaimer <sighs> that this next this next news story will contain a lot of speculation on at least my part, and I don't know about you, mm -hmm. man. But uh, somebody noticed, and I had no. Oh wait, maybe we should back up. Yeah, let's let's roll back to what. Right. It's, it's, so for, the the lock boxes have become the distraction de jour, as I'm now calling them. And yes, you've yeah. told. I know you're yeah, on board. I've seen some of your comments. Yeah. There. Oh yeah. There's you know the, the, there's always been some sort of uh, shiny that we all fight about that keeps us mm -hmm. distracted from the other issues in the game. And and it's you know generally it's not a completely unfounded cause. So the lock boxes have been brought up a lot in the stove forums, but also a lot of people seek forms outside of the Star Trek online forums because the community policies are so stringent there. And one of those places is our fleet's form. We have a large fleet, and we have a public section where people can talk about Stowe. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was discussion regarding the lockboxes. And Bordicus, Jeremy, is a member of Jupiter Force. He founded the show, and he's remained a member of the Jupiter Force. And he acts now as not uh, like, a, like an officer role, but just as like a general player. And mm -hmm. uh, he comes by and socializes from time to time. And he mm -hmm. stopped by and commented in a thread about lockboxes. Am I getting this mm -hmm. all right so far, Matt? So, yeah, you're, you're, you're on par so far. <clears throat> now... What people don't know about Jeremy, you might have picked it up if you watched a lot of him on Stoked, mm -hmm. but Jeremy is a no-drama person, especially in forums and internet communication. He's mm -hmm. very cut to the matter, fact of the matter, this is how it is, no soft, no sugarcoating because it's boom, 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 we're doing, it. we're doing a data exchange, and that's it. I mean, Jeremy was the one that put the number one policy in place for Jupiter Force, no drama. No right. drama. Right? right, that's a big part of him, and so he replied with a very nonchalant answer that said, "You know, if you have if a country has legal issues, the game might not be available in that area instead of us removing lockboxes." Mm -hmm. Somebody took that comment and ran to massively, and this is where the disappointing part comes in for massively because massively took the comment out of context and ran a headline that says, "Star Trek Online Dev unconcerned with losing oh, global playability oh, for yeah. the sake of lockboxes." Of course, adding unconcerned in on his own, and mm -hmm. and and. Also, by the way, a dick move not linking to the Jupiter Force site. That's a dick move, too. Anyway, so he goes on to say that uh, Jeremy was unconcerned about players' concerns, which is a fabrication of what really happened. Yeah, oh, it was a big <clears throat> fabrication. It was so, it was, but what happened was they took one line and ran with it. Now, understanding, you know, there are some people who have a, uh, 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 professional etiquette when it comes to writing and the, the, and believe me this has spawned a ton of different discussions not only in pro for what jeremy said but in con for what jeremy said people saying you're taking it out of context well and people also saying, on cheap blogger journalism too uh well right you know yeah. and people are just some people here's the thing it's a she it, i guess i don't know he she whatever makes no difference i'm not going to call out any one particular blogger or new style i'm not going to blame massively for not controlling their their writer that's not the point here's the thing and, and and people who've been watching any of my posts, neither the Jupiter forums or um, Stowe forums or the Stowe forums, will see this is how I feel about the lockboxes right now. They are completely, maybe completely is too much of a word. They are detracting and becoming a huge 
you know, grab topic. It's a huge distraction. Everybody is focused on, oh my God, the, the lockbox is this, the lockbox is that. And there are people on both sides uh, of this discussion. And, and I tell, and, and I've said straight out, I'm like, if you want to live in a fantasy land and say the lockboxes are great for Stowe, that's fine. Right. I disagree with them 100%. I'm not spending any money. Mm-hmm. I, I did spend money on them once mm-hmm. and I haven't since then. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what it is, is it is completely distracting the community from the the real issue at hand about content. Everybody is so tied and focused on these lockboxes that we're forgetting about, you know, the real issues at hand, whether it be bugs, exploits. About, or we're, we're not talking about the fact content. that we're not getting details on season six, which is leading me to believe that season six is not in a good state. And to that point, I tried very aggressively to get Daniel Stahl to come on this week's episode. Now, to be fair, I contacted mm-hmm. them on Wednesday. And I asked if, they, so if he could come on any time between Wednesday and Friday for, to pre-record an interview for Stoked. Because I don't believe Season 6 is in a good state, but all I have is my instinct. But I'll tell you something, Matt. I have watched this game every day since Cryptic announced they're making it. Every single day I have watched this game, I have studied it, and I can tell you when something is wrong. And something is wrong, something stinks here, and I want to get Dan Stahl on the show, but he couldn't be made available between Wednesday and Friday to come on. Right. But I think what we're seeing is... The community is really upset about the lockboxes, but we haven't come to an organized consensus on how to respond to them. And right. the issue is, is I don't think the lockboxes are done because they make money. No, no, so not by any means. So the only solution, it's not, are they legal or not legal in some countries? While I know some of you want to have that conversation, I believe the discussion needs to be, how do we spread the word that nobody buys any more keys? Right. Because the only way to make the lockboxes stop is to buy more keys. And I say that not wanting to deprive Cryptic of revenue. I would just prefer, and I'm sure a lot of us would just prefer, that they take that and they remove that whole layer and just put that stuff in the C-store. Now here's... here's, Let me just buy it outright. Here's my focus thought on on a a solution. Because I'm not going to sit here and argue about something and say something sucks without coming up with a probable solution for the problem. We understand it's a money grab. We understand, well, the only way to do it is to get keys and spend real money. Okay. At this point in the game, and personally, you don't necessarily have to spend, and, and, and I have a feeling an argument's going to be made from Cryptic in, in, in defense of the lockboxes. As of right now, a player doesn't necessarily have to spend real-world cash in order to get right. the keys. Right. Yes. There are 9 million EC or more yeah. on the market, <laughs> yeah. okay? Or you can farm dilithium and get C points and then buy a key that way. So you're still not really spending If you want to spend four cash. or five months doing that, yeah. Here's, here is my solution, okay? And, and, and this, is a two, this is a two-part solution. For every lockbox that's retired, and I understand they came up with the lobby store, which is a flawed concept in my opinion, as it is. Okay, because you're still dealing with, you know, you have to get a key to get a lobby crystal to get it and out of the box. It's also just once again introducing a another form of currency another in the currency, game, which I thought they were moving away from. And B, something that is totally non-canon. I mean, I know lobby crystals are in the game, and there's some are in the show, and there's a reference to them, like in Deep Space. It's just, it to me, it could have been why not again something from canon? Is it because CBS wouldn't let them use something from canon in this way? I don't know, but again. It's devaluing the Trek. We're talking about the Federation where they don't even have money in the first place. So anytime you introduce a currency system, you are fundamentally going against one of the principles in the game. But, you know, you can make that work in, a, in, in the show. But you can make that work in a video game because you kind of need that. And, you know, dilithium kind of makes sense and those kinds of things. But as you add GPL and as you add energy credits and as you add lobby crystals and as you add STF uh, loot, it's... It, it just gets to a point where now we have all these different currencies again for a game that 
almost is breaking canon just to have a currency in the first place. Now, see, you said something interesting here, and this is one of the things I was going to offer as an option, too. You say STF, Lou. You know, they're always saying about, oh, you know, running STFs is optional, this, that, and the other. Here's my thing, okay? And, and from experience in the past, understand, yes, you give the player base an option to outright pay X amount of dollars to get the key. My thing is, why don't you have it in the game as an ultra-rare drop? Okay, yeah. give the players an option to grind it if they want to, because since they want you to grind the STF anyways for EDCs or for tech drops, why not on a super rare occasion have, the, have it so that the keys will drop? Okay, don't make them very common. It's not like you're going to lower the price of them in the EC. They're still going to be running for $9 million or more. I, you know, I, but just, this I don't way, know. I think, I, here, I'll, I'll tell you something, Mav, and people might think I'm a little stupid for this, but I... I was going to play the featured episode reruns because I wouldn't mind getting one extra set of, of things. Mm -hmm. And when I, see a, when I see a drop box, it, it bums me out. It kind of, yeah. it kind of it, not only is it a complete immersion breaker, I mean a total and complete immersion breaker, but it, it has a lot of baggage when I see it. Well, here's, I haven't gone back it since then. Since, that just sat with me wrong and I haven't gone back to the reruns. Right, and, 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 and Nano Lion in the chat room, yes, we understand that in certain countries, the lockboxes can be considered illegal in gambling. Move aside from that. That's you know what, we should move on. From, we, we're, right. we're sitting here Oop. preaching their distractions. We should move on from lockboxes. I, I think the final word is, is if you don't want them in the game, don't buy the keys. And until you stop right. doing that, they're going to make them. And right. uh, if, you know, and that, we that's... Spend, we can go on and on and on. The player, I, think, I think the final word is the player, base vote. the player base is voting on this one, and we'll just see where it goes. And wherever it goes, that's what the player base wants. Right. But this leads into what we actually were talking about. For whatever reason, the, the devs, not, not Brand Flakes, but the devs have gone dark on the forums. Right. Okay, and everyone now, should keep in mind, Brandon is a perfect world employee, not a cryptic employee. Right, not a cryptic employee, a perfect world employee. Now, somebody said, well, that's normal for the season launches. Eh. No, actually, it's not. Right. Right. You know, they have been the community looks to the devs and the dev posts and the tweet leaks as their teaser to, oh, oh, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. You know, the concept, it's gone right. from concept to drawings to right. from wireframe to, you know, to, to you conceptual. Can, you can look at the dev tracker that tracks all of the dev posts. And from the mm -hmm. 15th, when that massively article ran, the one that covered about the lockboxes, when that, uh, that's, devs literally stopped mid-conversation in threads and didn't come back until later on when, when a Perfect World employee posted or... After a certain amount of time, Brandon came along and said, in what was a very Wayoon-like uh, post, he said uh, <laughs> that, no, everything's fine, the devs aren't going away, and then they trotted out Gozer, which I hope Gozer wasn't too upset about it. They trotted out Gozer like, look, here's a dev post right here, you silly Yeah, they, 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 they kind of threw that meat yeah. bone like, yeah, everything's yeah. fine, come yeah. on. And you know what that is? That's because I'm sure whatever that post was was probably approved the day earlier from Perfect World or something like that. That's all we're going to see now. That's all we right. will see now is perfect world approved posts. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but if Brandon wanted to, if Brandon wanted to settle that, and I'm not, I don't mean to pick on Brandon, what Brandon is, in my opinion, the only good part about perfect world at this point, he gets yeah. community. What they ought to do is they ought to promote Brandon up into perfect world headquarters so he can teach those people how to operate and interact with the community. I because agree. If he really wanted to prove a point, they should have had somebody from cryptic post that devs are still be around. Mm -hmm. That would have made the point. But when it comes from, the perfect world community rep just kind of sounds like it's what everybody's speculating that only certain approved posts will be in there. And that, that right. is going now, to now chop the, the legs out from underneath the community because the dev interaction is one of the keystone unique and competitive advantages that this game has. Yes, I agree. And I agree. it will starve all of the podcasts 
that talk about this show, including this one, or talk about oh, this game, including this, this show, especially this show. Um, I, I've also pressed to have, uh, I, not only did I press this week to have Stall on, but I also tried to see if I could lock in an interview with Heretic, and I've not heard back on that either. It seems to be that the doors are essentially closed, and only certain approved people will get to come on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm only left to speculate because they've shut off all channels of communication. Right. And I, I, I gotta believe this is a response to that Massively article. I'm well, sure this was the final straw after you've had underwear on Twitter, Twitter avatars, and you've had uh, you know, posts about this and that. I think the mm-hmm. final straw from Perfect World was that last one, right? Yeah, and I, I th- think there's I th- been think an finally, iron curtain. Right, I think finally public relations has looked at it going, we've got too much information going out unfiltered, mm-hmm. and now we're going to start filtering things that go out, and if it doesn't meet our approval, it's not going to go out. But right there, it breaks that bond that the players have had yeah. with the devs well, and I the mean, team. Our chat room know? right now, characteristically, would have one or two cryptic devs during a Saturday morning. There's no cryptic oh. dev in here today. Not a single one, right? Um, yeah. I, I think, I think what we're seeing is a fundamental misunderstanding of community from Perfect World standpoint. I don't think they can put a metric on communities where they can derive numbers and understand how it gives value to their game. So they don't know how to deal with it. What they know how to deal with are da- is, is data and money. And what, whenever data and money talks, that's the direction they move in. That's why we see lockboxes or we see IP stealing cations that are reskinned. I think, I think because they don't understand community, they don't understand what's actually been the major success for this game. And I've right. never said this on, on recordings. I didn't actually expect to, but I just, it just proves my point so well that I, I think I should say it. I've never said it because I've never wanted to brag because I, I, don't, I don't like to do that. But I, I, have, I have very good reason to believe very accurate reason to believe that this show has more viewers than the game has players. And the fact that they don't understand how these types of shows, like Podcast UGC and Priority One and Trek Radio and Stoked, are an ecosystem of value that drives people to this game, the fact that they don't understand that number one key ingredient for all of the fundamental success that otherwise has proved to be a lackluster game time after time, yet it continues to have a vibrant community. What other game out there has this many shows about it for something this size? Right. And see, this is the elephant in the room, is nobody's talking about the fact that this is a crucial part to the game's survival. And if you cut them off, I don't... I just that to me seems to betray a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes the game successful and for that to be happening from the very top management level of the game that to me is a problem that can't be fixed with a season 6 update can't be fixed with season 7 and it can't be fixed with some sort of patch it's a fundamental issue with the way Perfect World is going to run this game and just like with Atari Cryptic Studios is going to have to roll over and take their orders even even if they know even if they know in their heart it's not the right direction Right. And it's a it's a it's a bad situation. It's 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 a rotten situation that is gonna systemically poison the game. That they have to figure it out. I can try to be optimistic and say I'm hoping that this is just a temporary situation until whether it be corporate orders or, you know, well, you have to disseminate information through a filter and, and we start seeing dev posts again and we start seeing the dev interaction just maybe a little bit more restricted. That's one thing, and I guess I get it, you know, to prevent problems that we've seen in the past from, you know, and I think what sparked a lot of this 
you know, back in the beginning was the bug ship con- was the the Voldemort thing, the bug ship controversy. Then it followed with another, and followed with another, and followed Dude, with another. Dude, it goes back. It goes back. Oh, it goes to, back six months, seven months. It goes back to know. that community panel that uh, Atari wanted to assemble years ago. Uh, and oh, it, yeah. It's you know, it's yeah. It's been fundamental mismanagement and one blunder after another by the parent company. And Cryptic isn't a powerful enough independent studio to stand up and and say, no, we have to do it this way. This is you know, this preserves the game experience, and they're mm-hmm. just not in a position to do that. And uh, Perfect World isn't in a position to manage this you know, type of community. I'm right. And when you say this kind of community, it segues in exactly what I was about to say. I don't think that Cryptic nor Perfect World, and I've said this in public, uh, was ready to deal with the quality, the quantity, and the type of fan base you get when you deal with players of a Star Trek IP. They maybe are. we're dealing. Maybe we're dealing with some fundamentally cultural different approaches to business because Perfect World is a Chinese-held company. I know they have U.S. divisions, but mm-hmm. it, you know when something's said at the top, maybe it, I, I think you're right, man. I think you're exactly right. I, 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 I just don't think they fundamentally understand that Star Trek fans of the IP are extremely intelligent, intellectual. Very well, very well versed on their IP. Oh, believe me, if you get a couple of Trekkies into a room talking about Trek stuff, you'll get. They know, and they know when they're and they're going to call you on your BS when you're trying to cover it up. And the problem is, they were not ready to deal with fans that knew more about the product than they did. Maybe I think the problem is, is they think there's more money in making the game a celebration of Star Trek than actually making the game Star Trek. Right. Because all of these things they do, the lockboxes and, and having captains fly around in Ferengi ships, none of it would actually ever happen in Star Trek. No, not and, at all. And there's, that discussion isn't being had, but it needs to be had. And you have to ask yourself, because I keep going back to that comment that Dan made where he says, the long-term survivability of this game will depend on Star Trek fans. And I think Dan truly believes that. I believe he does believe it, but unfortunately... You know, there's idea and concept, and then there's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe they feel like Cryptic Studios thinks that with these big season updates, they can they can try to input as much as their take on it and try to make it as track as possible and try to make up for it then. But it's almost on a weekly basis, something new is added to the game, or on a monthly basis, it feels like it devalues the property. And it's, it's almost becoming disrespectful in a way. And there's a lot of people, and you're right, there's a lot of people out there that go, this is so far off base. It's not, it's not the trick that I'm used to. I cannot play a game right. that fundamentally ruins what, I, what it's supposed to be. And there's parts of it that are still great, and it's such a, it's such a shame are, to just not uh, see it go in the right direction. And again, I go back to, uh, that's not a patch thing. That's a perfect right. world issue. Right. I think that's a, right. that's, a, that's a fundamental design flaw that, uh, you know... Unless you rework it, which, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm just like every other viewer out there. I want this game to succeed. You know, it's been a long time since I played an MMO for an extended period of time. The longest MMO I ever played was Final Fantasy XIV. I played it for seven years. My entire married life, I played Final Fantasy Online. (laughs) This game... I, you know, I've had friends my whole life. We've come up with D12 board games and stuff like that to try to emulate what this game can do. And it's just fundamentally being destroyed by, you know, whether you want to call it a mon, just, I don't even know how to explain it. it the monetizing yeah. uh, of the game is just, is ruining the fundamental, the fundamental funness 
of what it's so, like. And JB Viewer One's making, I think, a good alternative point. He says, uh, "Don't you think that Stowe has to evolve the IP in order to remain successful?" And absolutely. Yeah. And I think they've done that very successfully. I would argue the Odyssey class is a great example of that. Um, I would. I think there's a lot what, of things that they did in the a, path to 2409. What a, yeah. What a great community collaboration the Odyssey was. Why can't we put that kind of energy into furthering other projects? I go back to that, the DOF system. Also, Heretic was very communicative on the creation of the DOF system, and I think it's one of the best new and complete systems that have been added to the game. I mean, it, it was said, just like D-Shot just said, when they said, design the next Enterprise, oh my god, there were so many different ideas and concepts, and, and people were digging it, and then, and then with the dev posts, here's the, here's, the, here's the drawing that was finally selected, then the wireframe, that, you know, but this is exactly the kind of communication that is now being censored. Yep. So how are you supposed to tie in with your community and respect your community and your player base when you shut the door on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a frustrating situation for everybody involved, especially for these shows. And I don't know what it means for long-term viability of a lot of the podcasts. I'm worried about that. We'll see where it goes. Hopefully they'll open the gates a little more and they'll allow more interaction and we'll start seeing that pick back up again. But uh, I'm worried we, we won't. And at a time when we're, when things, things like season six don't necessarily seem to be going well from the outside, and oh, the crafting boy. system theoretically could be in some sort of design phase. And the PvP system is in a divine design phase. I'd love to see all of this stuff, you know, out in the open so we can interact with it and really make I it agree. something Star Trek. But we'll see where that goes. You um, know, as a, as a community, we have to bind together and tackle each of these problems one at a time. Right now, like I said, in trying to be optimistic, I'm hoping season six. And 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 before I finish that sentence, with other seasons that had released. We knew in advance a, a bulk of what was supposed to be in that season. We're now less than a month away from the supposed launch of season six. What confirmed details do we have, if any, that is actually coming in season six? Mm-hmm. We just have that one post that Stahl said, well, you're going to have fleet star bases, you'll have five new missions. And that's it. Yeah. And that's it. That's yeah. what you're going to call a season. I, we'll to see. me, very reminiscent of the, the, the season four, season five fiasco. And we saw what happened with that. Yeah, yep, well said. Uh, all right, Mavlin, any other thoughts before we move on? No, let's go ahead and keep moving. All right, then you know what? Enough of all this downer stuff. Let's get our hands on a great new mission. It's time for the Foundry Files. Welcome to the Foundry Files. This week, Murphy joins me, and we're reviewing the mission Temple of the Paw Rays, which at this point had an average star rating of 4.19 with uh, 2,164 plays, and it's a sequel to a previously reviewed mission, The Worst of All Worlds, by Captain Rivero. Right? Am I saying that right? Captain Revo. Revo. Uh, while Worst of All Worlds didn't receive the best reviews, this sequel definitely has uh, shown higher quality. Than the previous mm-hmm. one, and much, uh, much higher. We we both had a the whole founder team, t- founder team had a chance to play it, but you and I both played it, and we're mm-hmm. going to talk about it today. So Murphy, why yeah. don't we start out with the story? All right, so you're originally going into the Gamma Quadrant to go survey a supernova, and the mission starts off with you on the return trip from that. You're doing your captain's log, talking about it. You exit the wormhole, you return to Deep Space Nine, and oh look, there's a pile of debris here. <laughs> yeah. So what really has happened is. 
you have crossed into the alternate reality, which you visited in Worst of All Worlds. That tricky wormhole. Yeah, so, and in this reality, it's the one where the Borg are everywhere. They are across the quadrant invading because they assimilated Earth during the best of both worlds episode. So, so the Borg have had years to sort of spread out across the uh, Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, so a quick uh, throwback to Worst of All Worlds is in that mission, you learn that the survivors of the Alpha Quadrant races, Cardassians, Romulans, Ferengi, Breen, and so on, have all uh, allied together because they had to in order to survive against the Borg because right. they are just swarming into the right. quadrant. They don't have their differences because they have one common enemy. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they, they had to just survive. Yeah. So what happens is you're stuck now here. The wormhole is pretty much gone. When you go back to go through it to see if you can get back that way, it doesn't open up. So you're pretty much stuck now in this alternate reality with Borg swarming all over the place. So now your mission is to find a way back to your reality or be stuck here in this reality that's just swarming by the Borg. Yeah. Um, so I, I got to say, though, when I, uh, when I was playing this part of the mission, uh, I was extremely impressed with just the, the whole look and the whole surprise mm-hmm. factor of it all. It was all very well delivered. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was just great to see. Oh, where's Deep Space Nine? Not here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So there is one plot hole I do want to hit on. Oh, okay. The Borg have assimilated Bajor in this reality. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why would they do that? Why? That's, that's... What is on Bajor? No. Seriously. We... I think the Borg would either just ignore it or blow it up. We've seen it established in canon that uh, the Borg won't assimilate anything that doesn't provide some sort of value to the collective because they don't want to ruin their perfection. Yeah. What if, if they assimilated the the Bajorans, wouldn't they just like blow up? I mean, they assimilated Janeway and look what happened to them. Well, I mean, assimilating Bajorans has to be worse. I mean, we should keep going because look what happens at the end of the mission. You mean, you know uh, what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. no spoilers though. So we don't yeah. want to go. Right, right, right. But, but, but yeah. So anyway, you do go to Bajor. It's been assimilated by the board. They have this whole now like new unit complex there. And Terok Nor is there. And it has been completely transformed because the Borg have completely taken over. And it's it a really cool thing awesome. to see. You get to see it Deep is. Space Nine assimilated, and uh, it's a pretty it's a it's, it's a whole setup. The whole scene is, it is. like this. Really Bajor cool. space has been screwed by the Borg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so basically, you'll be going through this mission. There's a whole bunch of references to the prophets and the Paw Wraiths, and um, there is a little workaround from this uh, author to try to get canon characters into the mission. Oh, yeah? There are, I believe, we, we we're going on. There's two that appear in this mission. Yeah. That uh. Well, you just have to play this mission to find out because it is a really nice surprise. And he manages to get away with it because one, he's using Borg names. And two, he's not <laughs> saying they're exactly these characters. But he's inferring. Like, yeah, he's like, I recognize this guy from like history or yeah, databanks or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, hmm. <laughs> so it's really cool and a nice touch just to see. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that, the story score we gave was an 8.36 and it's our sixth ranked uh, Foundry mission in the story section. Wow, not bad. Okay, yeah, I found the story to be pretty compelling and a very interesting it idea. It's like, what if one really pivotal event didn't go in the direction of the Federation? What yeah, if our heroes we're, didn't we're save the day? Stuff. And yeah, you see the consequences. And it idea. just evolves from that to go even more into what really happened at this one pivotal moment. Yeah. Po- point that just changed everything. It's really great. Uh, there's if you're a fan of story play this one yeah now you know of course when you have an assimilated deep space nine there's probably some technical tricks that he pulled off of so any, any notes in the technical section yeah so you got the great deep space nine it is just epic it's you've got the first the exterior which is really great yeah i mean you look at that and you're like whoa what yeah. have the borg done here yeah and then you got the inside the promenade which has been transformed with a whole bunch of borg walking around and stuff uh one problem is though that he has nodes that are kind of 
moving around on the floor on their own. I, I wait, that's a problem. I thought that was done on purpose. I thought not, it was. They're not supposed to move around. I don't know if it was intentional, but nodes are supposed to be stationary. Yeah, but I would think the board would have little droney things they walking could. around. Yeah. It is, a, it is a great idea. And if the author completely intended that, that would actually be something real cool. Because you would expect, if these are like healing nodes or whatever, they could move around. That could yeah. be an evolution of work. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, as you go through the deep, deep space nights, you keep going into more areas that have been completely transformed by the Borg. And it's really cool maps there. Um, the Borg Roombas, as the chat room's calling them. <laughs> yeah. So we also have like the great part where if, you know, part of this deep space nine structure is a Borg cube that's kind of stuck in between all these pylons. And yeah. Throughout, at, at a point in the mission, you're going to have to take out these pylons. And after you take them out, the board cube gets released and yeah. then you have to blow it up. And it's Chaos. a really cool fight. Yeah. And in a group that we had playing this mission, <laughs> a really cool fight. It, it went was crazy. crazy. Uh, it, was it, crazy. It, was, it was a great fight. There was literally a point where I was up pretty high and I could look down on the map and I said, guys, did you, do you guys realize well, how many board ships are here? <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so before we go into that, I guess that was more gameplay. So let's give us uh, the tech score here. The tech yeah. score was 7.57, our eighth ranked in technical. Yeah, wow. Okay. All right. So why don't we talk about gameplay? Because that was definitely a compelling part of this mission. Um, yeah, so there was a, a lot of optional combat in this mission, both in, in the space category, where you could go after a few squads. I think we took on some optional squads because like, hey, let's just blow up some board. Yeah. Because we had the cool Cation carrier and stuff, and it was yeah. cool to see that, right? Yeah. And so um, you got multiple board groups stacking up, which makes it a little bit of a tougher fight. You got fleet battles with the uh, aligned ships to ally you that's the group that's here in the the quadrant now that have and they really you. help out and it's great they to did. see all of these different ships coming in and helping yeah, you yeah beat you got and cleons and that's just it's not just like a, a two-on-two fleet battle it's like the whole power of the alpha quadrant yeah and it, and, and it makes story sense that they would be there doing that yeah so then um so that's our uh, not really much in space gameplay just a couple of triggers and uh, interactable objects um ground combat was really good though we had um there is this one boss you will be encountering throughout the uh, mission, and it's really cool to take him on. And uh, he's one of the, the people we'll be meeting that could be a canon character. And that's mm -hmm. one really cool uh, encounter that we did through the mission. I got to uh, say, one of the things that I thought was really neat that the author did and is if you've played some of his other Foundry missions, oh, there's yeah. a storyline thread that goes throughout these ones where when you're doing the dialogue during the different uh, chats with the NPCs, there's, a, there's an extra button. It says, if you've played my previous mission, and it names the mission, click this button. And then it sort of expands upon the story for that character that started in those other missions. And that's yeah, a I great know. thing. I would, I would love it to is. see more of that People, in Foundry. Authors, including myself, I know I've done it, Alan Max done it, a whole bunch of other authors who have tons of missions out there. We just love to throw in references to other series because it's a great way to get them, to, if a player enjoys that one mission, to yeah. go check out the rest of your missions. And this right. is a really great way to pull it off. And I like it as so. a player because I get a good story arc and I always <laughs> love me a story arc. Yeah, and then eventually you start to get attached to these characters. So when you see them again in another Foundry author's work, you'll be like, oh, I remember you. So <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> um, no real puzzles in this game in the ground gameplay section. You got a couple more triggers and stuff. Uh, good optional dialogue here. We've got branching dialogue used, and that's really nice. You do get a great part for replayability, which might make you go back and replay, is that towards the end, you do get a choice. And you can either do this or that. We don't want right. to say it because right. it's a spoiler, but you do get a choice, and it makes you just feel like you're the Starfleet captain yeah. saying, I'm going to do this. I'm yeah. the guy who makes these choices, and it's really great to have that feeling in a right. foundation. I probably shouldn't even show the visual of it. I probably shouldn't even. Maybe show not. It. Yeah. Maybe not. But it. yeah, we, we anyway. don't want to spoil it. 
No spoilers. Yeah. All right. So gameplay scored a 7.07. It's our 10th ranked Foundry mission in the okay. gameplay section. There you and, go. Uh, so all around, this is a really great mission in all three categories. Gameplay, tech, story. There's something here for everybody that you will enjoy. I think we had Brooklyn on who did uh, who was on a couple of Stokes ago yeah. who was just watching this. And he's like, oh my God, I got to get into this mission because yeah. this looks cool. And yeah. that's that's why we're here doing this because we want to get you guys to play some missions like this. And this is a really great one. It's yeah. scored a 7.67, our sixth rank Foundry mission. This is a really good one. Please I really enjoyed watch. it. I, pl- I played on the live stream before the show today. Uh, we brought a few people in from the chat room, and uh, it was thoroughly enjoyable. It was enjoyable. a blast. Yeah, it was it, great to play with some of the Stoke fans. You know, it's a good mission, too, because it was just a fun one to just watch, you know, mm-hmm. just to watch the chaos, especially in the more challenging group edition. So, Yeah, definitely. Any closing so, thoughts there, Murphy? Um, yeah, so our original joke of the week, you know how we do these jokes of the week every yeah, week? Yeah. It's actually on our show note. It says joke of the week. We try to throw a joke in. Sure. Well, we had to reshoot this segment because uh, we, we sadly lost the footage, but we had a joke that's yeah. now out of date, so um, Chris Roll. the new Talk Trek segment. Mav joins me and we're going to cover three episodes this week that we thought fit in really great with the featured episode reruns that are going on in Stowe right now. So Mav, welcome back. Oh, always glad to be back. So we're talking about Hippocratic Oath, Call to Arms, and Sacrifice of Angels, all Deep Space Nine episodes that had a a core storyline of something to do with the Jemadar. Because it felt like with the 2800 and all of that, that that would be, you know, a good tie-in. So uh, the first one up, we're going to do these in chronological order, is uh, one that I learned to have a new appreciation for during uh, this rewatch, and that is Hippocratic Oath, a season four, episode four episode. Mm-hmm. And this is one, if you, for those of you who uh, might not remember, uh, where uh, Julian and uh, O'Brien are going along in their runabout, and they detect what might be a warp core problem, something like that, and so they go off, of course. Next thing you know, of course, they're under attack from the... Uh, Jemadar, they're brought down to the planet for a crash landing, and uh, chaos ensues. Now, uh, Mav, the key story point around this one was the concept is, could the Jemadar be cured of Ketracel White addiction? Right. And uh, what were your impressions when we rewatched this one? Well, when I rewatched this one, and, and I got a, a, just like you, I, had a, I learned a different appreciation only because, you know, I went to medic school, so I understand Julian's, you know, striving to, to do in his mind, what's the right thing? The Hippocratic then, Oath. Do no harm, right, fall, do the right, right medical do thing. Do no harm, you, yeah. know, help, you know, help the sick and needy. And then, you know, I see, you know, O'Brien conflicting with that, you know, these guys are going to kill us, we're fighting, you know, we're, 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 you know, this, that with them. More of the soldier's perspective. You know, from the, from the soldier's perspective, yeah. which the, the Jem'Hadar understood O'Brien's position, mm-hmm. but was still looking to, 
you know, right. Julian's help, you know, and, you know, Julian's trying to solve things. And then you get that power play, you know, Julian being the lieutenant right. and, you know, O'Brien being the chief. It's like, look, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to do it this way. And this is my order. And you, you can see O'Brien, you know, has to sit back and then, you know, suck it up. It's not the first time O'Brien's been rank challenged like that before. Yeah. Um, and, but it's kind of, there's an extra tension there since there's the friendship. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you, it's one of those exchanges where you can see in O'Brien's face that he's not really going to go along with it. Like, he'll, no, he's yeah. going to do whatever it takes. You can, and yeah, you can just tell. The first time I watched this, I was on Julian's side. I remember that specifically, thinking O'Brien was really being a hothead. This time through, I was with O'Brien through and through, having the full perspective of the Jemadar and what they did throughout the rest of Deep Space Nine. Because mm -hmm. back then, they weren't such a threat. They were more of like this new bad guy. Right. Yeah, I mean, we knew they were bad, we knew they were killers, but we didn't have any idea what kind of chaos they were going to ensue. And mm -hmm. uh, this time through, I, I thought O'Brien was, was dead on, and I thought there was, a, there was an exchange where uh, Brian pulls a fast maneuver, he beams out after he has to go back to the shuttle to get a part for Julian. He beams out, and he comes back to rescue Julian, and they mm -hmm. have this exchange, and Julian says, no, you have to leave me behind, I'm not coming. And right. uh, O'Brien starts to walk away and turns around and shoots the medical the equipment. equipment. Yep. Yeah, and it's just like, whoa. That yep. is it. That was just, I just, I love that. Now you've got no statement. choice because your work is destroyed. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, you, you got to go now. <laughs> uh, this also was an early Worf episode where, yes, uh, yes. where the writers wanted to sort of tie in Worf from TNG and be like, you know, Worf used to be kind of a cop on the Enterprise, but he doesn't mm -hmm. really fit in here on Deep Space Nine anymore. And there was a good scene with him and Odo, and he kind of ruined one of Odo's investigations. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was fun to kind of tie those episodes together. The, uh, the, at the 38-minute mark, that, that's the moment where Brian says, you're coming with me, and he shoots Julian's equipment. Love that moment. And of course, yeah. uh, um, you start to have a much deeper appreciation for the Jemadar's honor system and their structure and the Vorta and how the Vorta to them are, are regaled as like these you know, higher life forms almost. Mm -hmm. So that was a great episode to sort of dip our toes in with the Jemadar. But then I, I think we could move right on to Call to Arms, a, yes. uh, a very action-packed episode of Deep Space Nine. Very combat-heavy. Season 5, episode 26, cliffhanger here. 26 episodes in these seasons. These were, you know, yeah, these standard seasons now are 24. Um, yeah, these were long seasons. Yeah. Uh, any first thoughts on Call to Arms? Um, geez. Well, uh, it's funny. The first original thoughts when I'm watching this is, uh, again, my experience with Deep Space Nine, it's not a series that I watch over and over and over. Next Gen was a, right. se was a series that I can watch yeah. over and over. I'm the same. So I'm, I'm watching this, so it was like watching it for the first time, and I'm, and I'm seeing, you know, Lita and Rom prepare for their wedding and stuff like that, which is totally unrelated to, the, you know, what we were talking about, but I, I found it still comical and funny to watch them go through that. Yeah. Uh, go through that whole thing. Um, and then... When it all plays down to the evacuating of the station and how they, they, they you know, getting everybody off and leaving yeah. it to the Jordans for the Jem'Hadar to occupy without, you know, you know, without incident so that they're trying to get so that nobody gets hurt. Right, because the Bajorans said this is, this is a great moment where Cisco says to Kira, he says, you remember that non-aggression pact, I want Bajor to sign it. And it's a total, like, it was back then, it was a total twist because a few episodes earlier it was a big point of contention and Cisco was going to block that. And that was a big deal. And then all of a sudden, nope, you know what? We got to do what's right for Bajor. You sign it. And then he sets up that, uh, he sets up that program. In fact, I even made a note to myself. I said, oh, if, that, you're ever, if you're program. ever in Stowe and you come across a program that's called Cisco Program 197, don't ever run it. Don't click it, it. Don't it, ever run it. It makes it. a mess. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a great, that was a great scene. Uh, Dead space, yeah. Oh, another great scene with Cisco in this episode is uh, of pretty soon when they start mining the wormhole, which is the beginning of a, of a six-episode arc. 
or an eight, it's six episode arc, I think. Uh, they begin mining the wormhole, and of course, the Dominion finds out about that pretty quick. Yeah. So they send Wei Yung to Deep Space Nine, and Wei Yung beams over, and he's just right up front with uh, Cisco. He says, "You got to shut down that minefield, or we're gonna have a problem." And Cisco says, "I'm not gonna shut down that minefield. I guess we have a problem." You know, essentially. Right. And then they sort of switch roles. And they start right. talking about how, well, what if we just agree to do medical shit? Right, all of a sudden now it becomes a diplomatic right. meeting. Right, right. And he walks out of the room and he says, thank you, Captain Cisco. I think this is going to be a historic moment. And the yeah. next scene is Cisco briefing the crew. And he's like, they're about to attack. Yeah, here goes, here goes my BS card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Cisco's like, the moment we laid the cards on the table, everything after that point was just a, to try to lull each other into a false sense of security. A beautiful exchange, and it's exactly what would happen. And it starts to, starts to make you appreciate how Cisco's a real thinker. He's thinking a few steps ahead, and he's, you know, he's very smart, and he's very knowledgeable about his enemy. So I enjoyed that a lot. And I, thought, I thought that added a lot of good context to the whole six-episode arc. But it really comes to a conclusion with Sacrifice of Angels, which is really what the entire 2800 series was directly driven from. Is at the, in the Sacrifice of Angels, it concludes with the Dominion fleet being uh, completely removed from the wormhole, which is where the 2800 then picks off. Uh, but before right. we jump, actually, I thought I'd give a little background information. I, I forgot I wanted to do this on Call to Arms. Uh, this episode features the second battle of Deep Space Nine. And uh, that's, it, they use a new technique in this one where they sort of transpose the explosions behind and above the models, and they kind of get away with some new explosion techniques. But now that I edit video, I watch with an eye, and I kinda, you can kind of see how they do it. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Well, it's, it's yeah. Great. What that, I that found myself wondering, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, it's a great episode, so if you have any thoughts. Yeah, yeah no, what I found myself wondering, too, is, um, you know, going back to the mechanics of, uh, of what was in that episode, you know, and, and going back to some of the... Uh, things that were in game and I'm sitting there going um, you know we had there was that one um, I can't remember what it was not a feature episode uh, uh, fleet action thank you there was that one fleet action that was around Deep Space Nine that had that big combat and I'm sitting there oh, going yeah. why doesn't Deep Space Nine have them upgraded weapons that would be awesome to watch actually happen in game even if it was just a cutscene to yeah. watch all the weapons and stuff pop out yeah, on Deep yeah. Space Nine yeah that was and, a really and, impressive and moment action. Yeah. and then I'm also looking at the self-replicating mines come on now those could have been in game and that would have been an awesome thing to have especially a mine launcher you know even if it was something a specific console for that would just be pure drop. chaos <laughs> I mean can you can you I mean this and uh, back in the day you know, when Crystalline Entity used to get mined to death. Yeah. It would have just been something where it was just like, well, I have the, you know, self-replicating cloaking mines. You know, right. we obviously know they have the ability to make cloaking mines. They were right. actually cloaking tractor mines. So right. we, you know, we know the mechanic exists in game, but self-replicating mines, even if it was just for a short time period where it was like uh, for yeah. 30 seconds, the mine will replicate X amount of mines and, and That's continue to cool. spawn. I thought, no more spam. <laughs> ah. So yeah, uh, I, uh, I just thought I just thought it'd be interesting. The mines were an interesting concept and something we haven't seen in uh, in Trek later on. Uh, all right, right, why don't we talk about Sacrifice of Angels? I started Sacrifice talking about of it, Angels. but yes, this this is the conclusion to the six story arc, which was the first six story arc of the series. And when they, uh, I'll go down to the if, uh, we're over at Memory Alpha. If you, of course, everybody knows about Memory Alpha. I don't need to tell you about that. But if right. you go down to uh, their background information, here it is. Uh, when the multi-episode arc was originally conceived, it was just four episodes long. But once the writers started to develop ideas and decide where specific plot points needed to go and how things needed to develop, uh, they changed it to a five-episode arc. But as they started writing the last episode, they're like, we can't fit this into 44 minutes. Because the last right. episode was going to be Favor the Bold. They decided to make it a six-episode arc. And that six-episode arc was so, what they call, extremely successful 
that ultimately everyone agreed that it was one of the best things the show ever did. And they, to conclude that, they do a 10-episode arc at the end of the series, which mm. really, if you think about it, the war with the Dominion is... We think of the war with the Dominion as this thing that went on all through Deep Space Nine from like season four on-ish, right? Mm-hmm. But the concentrated goodness in this six-episode arc and in that final 10-episode arc are really that the, the cornerstone uh, Jemadar Dominion moments in Deep Space Nine. Right. Um, so anyway, Sacrifice of Angels also featured for the first time exclusive CG work for the ships. All of those battles, mm-hmm. CG for the first time. And right. they figured it was so much freaking CG work, they needed to split it among two houses to get the work done. Um, and they also mentioned that they specifically wanted to have uh, you know, very military-like tactics mm-hmm. in this episode. And I thought that was a great point, like where they're trying to pick on the Cardassians and things like that. Right, pick them off to get them to break that hole and then run that breach with a blockade run. And, yeah. you know, it was, it, was very t- it was a good tactical episode. This, the combat in space is how, like, I would envision faction versus faction combat. When it comes, and, and, and this is something that I hope, you know, gets expanded on and a lot of us i'm sure will we'll hope that as well i hope it's something that gets expanded on when it comes to this game instead of it being five on five or ten on ten i mean massive right right massive space yeah. battles yeah like you know, uh, you know like starbase 24 can have just you know dozens and dozens and dozens of klingons right. like have, yeah something like that it's just groups just, and just, groups. just at a just on a massive yeah. scale yeah. also i'm hoping eventually and i sorry i didn't mean to bump the mic i'm hoping eventually that they introduce a mechanic in Disto where once you're dead you're out of the fight there is no respawn come back and join your friends if you run out of ships, buddy, guess what? You run out of ships. You're Man, done. I'd be you, dead, and I'd be dead in a few you, minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you've lost. Yeah, yeah, no bringing Chris in as the flagship because they'll kill you and <laughs> fight's over. <laughs> yeah, I I agree, Matt. That'd be really fun. And did it bug you at all though that during these battles, like apparently none of these ships had shields? Yeah, they were a little squishier. They they were kind of like, well, you're squishy. To be <laughs> honest with you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they were flying right between them, you know, and then they would fire, and they just explosions. There, oh, yeah, there okay. were some, there were some great piloting. I mean, we're talking. You've got four or five galaxy cruisers just kind of toting along through this maze of ships. Nobody's hit nothing, right? You know, so these were the best piloting computers ever, uh, or there, or, or the the expanse was just that well. Um, I also really yeah. liked. I, I liked this in this episode. They really uh, in the in the in the in the episode we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, call to arms and in sacrifice of angels they tie in cisco's baseball which yes, ha- is a yes. thread throughout the entire uh series and whenever the uh prophets speak to him as you wish to end the game they're they're referring back to what cisco originally compared life to a baseball game and mm-hmm. so now that's how the prophets refer to life like that's how they refer to it yeah and i love the whole thread through the whole thing and that baseball remains uh it's just an interesting character piece that they have for Cisco. It remains throughout the whole series. Um, what I also found very interesting in, in following the whole story is when, um, when Ducat snaps after his daughter is killed. Yeah. The other guy shoots, you know, it was, it, I, actually, I actually felt bad for the guy. Yeah. You know, because all he wanted to do was protect his daughter in the very end, which, and then his, 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 one of his flunkies, you know, pops her in the chest and kills her for being a traitor. Well, you heard what she said. Yeah. You know, she's a traitor. And, you know, it, just how he's just driven mad. And at the end, you know, I forgive her. And, I, and he turns to Cisco when he hands him the ball. I forgive you, too. You know, just, it, I, I genuinely felt for the guy. Yeah. And it was probably the only time you ever sit there and go, oh, 
but that was, it and it, was it, sets, it sets up an episode that hap- that an episode that happens like six episodes later where where right. Cisco's taken to cut in uh but it also really establishes the fact that in the background deep space nine in a lot of ways was the the about the polar opposites of Cisco and Dukat, but also their similarities. Like uh, um, in the mirror darkly, right, where uh, Cisco has to kind of cross the line to convince the Romulans. Right. He's a little more Dukat in that episode, but it's like yeah. he knows his he knows his spot. And uh, very interesting kind of um, relationship that starts to develop right there between the two in a way that they'd never really kind of been connected before right. in the show. Uh, great episode, Sacrifice of Angels. One of these three of them grades. Yeah. All three of them were good. Uh, Mav, well, I think that's all the notes I have for this week. Now, we don't have a Talk Trek segment lined up for next week. We're going to take one week off because we want to feature community feedback uh, next yep. week. Uh, I, had a, I had a community feedback question I was going to suggest, but uh, was there anything you wanted to chat before we throw it out there? You know, with the focus on, and, and, and this is where I segue into a real quick, uh, you know, on this, Foundry Files is a very important uh, very important thing uh, for us. It's a very important aspect of the game. And, you know, with the spotlight on the Foundry now, and they're starting to bring more attention to the Foundry authors, we want to get your missions. We want to see what you got out there, your writing skills, your tips, your tricks, and stuff like that. Send us in your suggestions for, yeah. for missions. You know, if you've played one, that's great. If you've played one, that bombed, but it had, uh, this was a really interesting effect. Send it into us, stoked at jupiterbroadcasting.com. This way, if you've got something, or your buddy's got something, showcase your talent, even if it doesn't meet the showcase on the stove forms we'll be able to bring it here on stove. Yeah, take a look right uh, right so i had i thought uh mav the next week's question for community feedback i want to get some q a in and we know that the new pvp system is under development mm-hmm. and uh things have been pretty quiet from the devs on the uh information sharing front but maybe we can offer some suggestions so i would like to ask the community this now that we know pvp is under development what types of new map functionality would you like to see in the new pvp system what types of new map functionality would you like to see? Email us your ideas, stoked at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And there you go. If we get some good answers, we'll cover those on next week's episode of Stoked. Yep. All right, Mav. Well, I think that just about wraps up this week's episode of Stoked. Special programming note, Stoked will be live at 5 p.m. Pacific. Does that work for you, 5 p.m. Pacific next week? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Friday, 5 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv. We're moving the show for uh, one week to see how Friday fits. So join us live Friday, jblive.tv, 5 p.m. Pacific for Stoked Live. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Stoked, and we'll see you right back here next week. really oh, happening great huh? yes it is is this uh it, sleep is this how it went in the uh time you guys played it what all these cubes yeah <laughs> oh spectacle. all right not a cube not a cube not a sphere not a sphere not a cube not a sphere not a sphere not a cube whoop 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 got it oh under attack uh-oh bad news about my hall integrity guys bad news anybody have some emergency fireworks uh i, I could use some emergency I fireworks there we go